I'm Brie Castellini, and I used to be a spy. I'm Chris Cherry, and I used to be a comedian. <laughs> Today is a bonus episode. We're doing a bonus episode in between seasons four and five of our exceptional the podcast. podcast. Noticed. Thank you. I just, I was literally saying the name of the podcast as you interrupted me. Could I edit it so that it happens different sides? This is an episode of our podcast. It's a bonus episode. Bonus episodes are meant to be loose and casual. Exactly. But you know, you still gotta welcome people into our home. I was literally saying the name of the podcast when you interrupted me. So. Valid. Sort of feels like it's on you. (laughs) I mean, speaking of the name of our podcast, (laughs) speaking of the name of our podcast, um, we're not going to do the full intro, obviously, but if you want to send us stuff, you can email us at burnnoticepodcast at gmail.com or uh, tweet at us on Twitter at burnnoticedpod. Both of them are burnnoticed with a D. You know the drill, everybody. If you're listening to the bonus episode, you know. That's like not Twitter. That's going to be very difficult for you. Yeah, I mean, if you can do it, I will be very impressed, and by all means, go right ahead. If you if you um, try to tweet at us, like, at <laughs> Parlor, we have nothing to say to you. Yeah, no. We, this, is a, this is a no Parlor. Is, so. that what par- is, that, is that what you do on Parlor? Do you tweet? Do you Parl? I, I, no, it's, it's called something stupid. I saw it recently. I can't think of it right now. Wait, yeah, hang on. Is it, is it a hate crime? <laughs> yeah, I, I was just, reading a hate oh my crime gosh, on Parlor. This person hate cried it so much. <laughs> While you look that up, uh, <laughs> but for I went to content because I was hoping it would tell me what kind of posts they are. I'm sure they're just posts. They're just but the posts. first thing under content is Parlor is known for its far right, alt right, anti Semitic, anti feminist, and Islamophobic content. Is that what it's known for? Huh? That's interesting. 100% what it's known for. Anyway, um, uh, speaking of <laughs> hate crimes. Let's talk about the the comedians. (laughs) Well, just to give everybody an overview, what we're doing today is watching two Matt Nix pilots that are not burn notice, um, because that's kind of what we do. This is a a, a thing partially recommended by a friend of the show, Matt Culkin. Um, You may remember him from last season, because when we watched Shut Eye and The Gifted, that was also partially suggested by Matt Calkin, who just suggested like a Where Are They Now episode. But given that we're still sort of like in the meat of the podcast, we're like, that doesn't make sense as a full conversation. Um, but we are kind of looking at what else our primary people have done since then. Especially uh, as such. our good friend, <laughs> Big Daddy Nix. Of course, our big friend, Big Daddy Nix, is a big one. So we're watching two of his pilots today, or we did watch them. Um, and now and we're going we sure are. So, uh, Chris, would um, you like a little bit of background info, contra- like, of what comedians? the comedians is? The comedians is an interesting show because it's like not like he is a producer on it, but it's weird that he's a producer on it. Well, he also like co-wrote the pilot. He also and co-wrote the several pilot. other episodes. He's not yeah. the showrunner, though. Importantly, he's not, he's the, not show the showrunner. It's weird that he's here. Do you know why he's here? I don't. I did see your friend Emily Vanderwoof um, had written about the show when it came out. Like she was one of the people who like and breaking like this show just got picked up and it's like it's it's also going to be written by this guy Matt Nix parentheses the burn notice guy question mark <laughs> exactly. So do, wait, are you asking me in like a Bree? Do you know why, or are you asking me so that I ask you? No, Chris. Oh no, I don't know. Matt I Nix legitimately there? don't know. Oh. <laughs> no, yeah, I wish I had no a reason. Sense. As to it's why so he's involved with this, because like if because if there's one thing that we know about Matt Nix, and I think a thing that we're going to discuss a lot in this episode of our podcast is that like Matt Nix is not that funny. No, no, he's not. He is not. Uh, so really quickly, the comedians is a television show that ran for one season in 2015 on FX, starring Billy Crystal and Josh Gad. It is described on IMDb as, quote, a veteran comedian is reluctantly paired with a younger, edgier comedian for a late night comedy sketch show, which is already off to a bad start because any show about comedians and comedy is like almost certainly not going to be funny. 30 Rock, I would say, is one of the few shows that I have seen about showbiz that is legitimately funny. And that's because most of it isn't about the show. Like, and that that's not the point at all. Um, no, definitely. I actually, it's funny you mentioned that because I've been rewatching Thirty Rock lately, and it like it still oh, really? holds up. But yeah, you're right. No, this is this is a painfully unfunny television show. It's so I like 
I didn't laugh once. I laughed more at the Sam Axe movie that we posted our bonus episode about a while ago. Yeah, I laughed way more at Sam Axe than anything else. And like, I find both Josh Gad and Billy Crystal funny outside of this. But my God, was this show this just was a, a fucking dire, dire <laughs> pilot. But yeah, yeah apparently uh, it, it's based it on a Swedish show. Yeah, it's, ba- it's based on the Swedish series... Ulvesson and Herngren from 2005. Um, and that one won a bunch of awards. Uh, this show, though, The Comedians, was nominated for two primetime Emmys. Uh, it was nominated for Outstanding Guest Actor in a Comedy Series uh, with Mel Brooks playing himself. Yeah, Mel so Brooks. Mel Brooks got friend a, of a friend, Mel got Brooks. Got a primetime Emmy. <laughs> a primetime Emmy nomi- nomination. Uh, and then it also got a... Uh, a nomination of, for Outstanding Original Music and Lyrics for the song Kiss an Old Man. Oh, my God. Yeah. And I'm, also, I'm wondering also if we Rachel Bloom's husband wrote an episode. Who wrote a husband? Who wrote a husband? <laughs> <laughs> who wrote, the, other, who wrote... the other fun fact is that Rachel Bloom's husband wrote an episode. Oh, hey. He must have been in the writer's room. He must have been. I'm wondering if we shouldn't have watched the episode with Mel Brooks. Instead of the pilot, because Matt Nix <laughs> we, was we a writer are... on that one too, and like Mel Brooks is on it, whereas like maybe that could have been funnier. I don't know. Maybe God, almost anything is going to be funnier than this fucking pilot, which was written yeah. by Ben Wexler, Larry Charles, Billy Crystal, and Big Daddy Nix, and directed by Larry Charles. Larry Charles, uh, who's also done a lot of Sasha Baron Cohen joints and Entourage. Yeah, both of which Larry make a Charles. Lot of sense to me has a very specific <laughs> vibe that I don't care for. Me either. He's also in He's it. Also... Let's explain yeah. what this is. Yeah. So like, do you, I'm going to let you take that because I've been saying a lot of like the, the background yeah. stuff. So please, Chris, by all means, tell us what this show's about. The, the premise of the show is that Billy Crystal is an old man. Like, mm-hmm. that's pretty so They play themselves, it. by the way. And he plays himself. Yeah, this Billy is Crystal all and show... Josh Gad are the same. Yes, this is a show where people are playing themselves, like like Josh Gad plays Josh Gad. Not always, not but, always, uh, but mostly. Yeah. Like it's sort of the thing that they're going for. The thing that they want this to be is curb your enthusiasm. Mm-hmm. Like that is the thing that they want it to be, which makes sense because like the thing watching this, like from twenty twenty one, is how much in like the first half of the twenty tens we were doing this sort of thing. And even like the late 2000s, there was so much of this kind of show, this kind of like mockumentary, cringe comedy type show. And it became this thing where we, we thought if we just show people being awkward at each other, we don't have to write jokes. And Mm -hmm. thank God we got over that because my God, but yes, but no, the premise is that like Billy Crystal is doing a sketch show for FX, but it's not testing well because people don't like that he is the only person in it. And apparently he is the only person in it. Like part of the bit of the show is that Billy Crystal plays all the characters Eddie Murphy style. It's Yeah, it's, weird. it's called Billy on Billy or something. It's called Billy, Billy and Billy. Billy. It's or called Billy, Billy and, and Billy. Billy, yes. The Billy and, and Billy the, show. The, the, only te- the only test shot we see in the, the pilot, which I thought was not funny, but was at least vaguely amusing, which is the most really that I got out of this, is the, the it was just a scene from when Harry met Sally, but he's playing like himself. He's playing uh, Meg Ryan. He's also playing the old lady who wants what she's having. Yeah. It's <laughs> and like, that, like thinking about concept. it makes me laugh, but the scene did not make me laugh. No. Like but I'm laughing that, like... retelling because I'm having a fun conversation with my good friend, Christine Cherry. But uh, watching this show was like being slowly cut to pieces. Like that lady in um, Jessica Jones, who was like yeah. dying by a thousand cuts. Like that's kind of what it felt like watching. That's what it pilot. felt like. It was. Like, <laughs> yeah. The, ironically, you laughed at the bit, that bit, which is supposed to be unfunny in the scene. Like, see, and this it's is like supposed thing. to be like an example of the show being bad. But yeah, anyway, so the, the FX people are like, you can't do this show unless we put you together with someone else who's popular. We're going to put you with Josh Gad. And so the idea is that it's Josh Gad and Billy Crystal and they're working on a show together, but they hate each other because they're both from like different eras, like Billy Crystal's an old guy. Josh Gad is a young buck. 
And yeah, um, who likes to, who likes the word cock a lot, and Billy Crystal always flinches when he says the word cock. Yes. And Josh Gad makes some comment about that midway through the episode. Like I, he he says something like he's allergic to the word cock, or he's offended by the word cock, and something something something. And I'm like, I wish you would stop saying it. Frankly, I'm yeah. allergic to the word cock, and I wish we would stop doing this. Right. And the thing is that like. So they have this conflict because one is old and one is young. And also, they're both mm-hmm. the worst people. Like, oh, God, they suck so they bad. They suck so much. Like, here's the thing. I don't think that, like, I am someone who can watch off-putting people in television shows. I like watching shows about people who are, like, garbage. Like, provided that they can be garbage in an interesting way. And, like, these people are garbage in a boring way. Oh, it's so, it's like such a boring, like the first note I took, because I was like trying to take notes, at least to have like something to say for this bonus episode. And the first note that I took, which was at the end of the episode was basically nothing happens in this episode and it's not funny. And that's my review of the comedians. Like nothing happens. They go and they have dinner together. Billy and and it's and it goes bad. Josh, it goes bad, and then they get an argument. the The only plot point in this episode is that Larry Charles gets fired, and they need a new director. Like that's it. But the well, thing Billy is that, like, Crystal fires him specifically. Like they they their first shooting happened. Like their their first shooting. Jesus. Yeah. Their first taping of the show happened. Billy Crystal's mad that Josh Gad improved something, and he's like, "Well, Larry said it was fine," and he's like, "Oh, Larry says it's fine. Well, Larry, you're fucking fired." Like, and there's this whole thing. And so Larry Charles is fired, which he should have been probably from the show The Comedians, but unfortunately is not the case. And then there is a conflict over who they should hire to direct next. Yeah. Here's the thing, though. Though us describing that makes it sound like that's more the plot of the episode than it actually is. There is, like, one scene of actual conflict about this. Mm-hmm. Like... And then, like, at the end of the episode, the two of them talk like, well, we both got what we want, and we'll get to that in a bit. But, like, (laughs) we'll get to that in a second. But, like, like, the way they talk, it's as if they had spent the whole episode arguing about this conflict of the director. And that's not what happens. Like, literally, there's, like, one scene of them arguing about this. Then after dinner, they like the only time that they sort of get along in this episode is after the disastrous dinner that they have together to like meet and greet each other. They make jokes about how their agents are going to like call each other in the morning and be like, that was oh, that I Billy at. loved Josh. That was OK. It went on for way too long. It and went on like for everything too in long. this episode went. S- and this is something. Have you seen? I'm sure you see. I'm sure I've sent it to you if you hadn't seen it already. But have you seen the every from a painting video about uh, Edgar Wright's physical yes, comedy and like comedy and editing? So I think about that video a lot, especially when watching comedy from this era, from like late 2000s to, you know, early 2010s, uh, about like one of the points that that video makes is about how comedy's gotten really like focused on improvisational performers where the camera isn't really doing anything. It's just sort of like sitting there and letting funny people kind of talk at each other. And like that sort of seems like what they were trying to do with this, except yeah, no, that kind of set up situations where everyone sucks. Yeah, exactly. But it's just, it's so, it just sits there like a weighted blanket. But instead of being comforted, you just feel like you're suffocating under quicksand. Like they don't cut away. It's just like a long shot of these two doing bits back and forth. But like none of the bits are funny. And I hate none of them are funny. (sighs) Not one of them is funny. Again, I do think the bit where they're actually getting along and joking about their agents is kind of funny because that's the only time in the episode where the two of them like for plot reasons need to be funny yep like literally that's it and so like in that moment they're kind of getting along a little bit and like it's kind of funny and i'm like oh this is nice then like and then of course it goes on too long and then josh gad Mm -hmm. says cock and then it's like (laughs) It is interesting, though. To me, what I think is the most interesting miscalculation of this show, and I think it probably comes from the fact that it's based on a Swedish show from 2005, is the bit that they're doing is that, like, Billy Crystal is an older guy from an older generation. And so, like, he, like, cares about comedy as, like, an art form. And he thinks that, mm-hmm. like, Josh Gad is this young whippersnapper who just wants to say offense, do say and do offensive things for a laugh. 
and he doesn't care about the craft of comedy because he just wants to say cock like but the thing is that like that's not the weird that's not how like the kind of boomer millennial generation like generational conflict played out Mm -hmm. like like normally i feel like if you were doing this show like if you were doing this show the bit would be that like billy crystal is old and out of touch and so he says things that are offensive and that like the younger millennials like that's not funny that's just offensive but that's yeah, but not... they want Billy Crystal to seem likable. And if Billy yeah. Crystal's also writing it, he wants his conflict to be he's stuck in his ways of wanting to make high art, but maybe he should say cock more than once. And it's yeah. like, no, it's, this isn't the lesson that I want you to learn. Bit. Like, that's the thing, is it's like, yeah, Billy Crystal, like, doesn't come off well in this, because no one comes off well in this, but, like, no. he comes, like, Josh Gad comes off worse. Like, and, like, they kind of try to do it, like, a little bit, like, Josh Gad it says to his agent that part of the reason that like uh Billy Crystal doesn't like the word cock is because he's homophobic and like part of it is that like like part of it of their conflict is that um Josh Gad wants to hire a director that's a woman and that's kind of like a thing there but like that's so inconsistent with like this other thing that they're doing like they don't know what the conflict is between these two people like, well, and it also conflict- doesn't seem like the woman director thing is a problem necessarily with Billy Crystal. The problem was, A, Josh Gad was having a meeting with their producer without him, making trying to make like a big decision for their show. So he's already mad about that. But also, now that he knows that this meeting is happening, he has a recommendation and he just wants it his way. And it, ha- it seems to have nothing to do necessarily with gender. It no, just it is doesn't. like, he, because it Josh Gad's like, well, I think a, a female... I know, right, exactly. But Josh Gad specifically says in the meeting he thinks that there should be a more female perspective. And I wrote in my notes that I agree about the show, The Comedians. Um, But then Billy Crystal's like, well, I'm concerned with having a funny perspective. And it's like, if this was about you not liking a female director, that would be more interesting, even if it would be infuriating. But it's not. He's just mad he wasn't in the meeting. Exactly. And it's so weird. Like... None of this is structured in a way that, like, a story is happening. Yeah, it's all. just things happen and then the episode's over. And it's, it's like, and it ends with, like, transphobia. And it's like, wow, yeah, cool. We'll, we'll get to that. Uh, <laughs> do we want to get to that now? Like, do you have anything else to say about this episode? I have nothing oh, no, I have to things say. To it was say. truly, it was so unremarkable to it me. It was so unremarkable. Like, I could recap I do think, more specifically, but ugh. I think, like, one thing I did enjoy, like, in an ironic way is that there's a running bit about how Josh Gad's show 1600 Pen, which no one remembers, like, did not do very well and was canceled. And so, like, 1600 Pen is, like, the butt of all of Josh Gad's jokes. And what I really love about that is that at this point, no one remembers this show either. And this show is just (laughs) as non-remembered as 1600 Pen. And, like, here's the thing. I don't even remember this show being on the air. Like, I remember 1600 Pen. When they referenced it, I was like, oh, I remember that show existing. I'd never heard about this show. This show was, like, less memorable than 1600 Pen, the show that they're constantly making fun of. Oh, it was co- uh, it was co-created and written by the, the Pod Save America guy. Really? Yeah. John Lovett is one of the executive producers. Of 1600 um, Pen? And one of... And one of the creators uh, next to Josh Gad and someone named Jason Weiner. Um, That's hysterical. There's it, also it was in it was in 2012. It was released in 2012 through like three months into 2013. I will say the only moment of happiness I had watching this episode of television <laughs> was very early on when we're introduced to Josh Gad. We're introduced to Josh Gad. And he is in, like, a coffee shop, and that is, like, where he's doing his intro, like, this is how we're beating Josh Talking Gad, he's head. doing his uh, interviews. And um, he gets served by a barista, and the barista is Olivia Taylor Dudley, who plays Alice Quinn on The Magicians. And she has nothing to do. I was just happy to see her. <laughs> That's literally it. I was just like, oh, hey, wow. look at her. Which kind of makes sense, because she low. used to do a lot of, like, sketch stuff. Hmm. it's wild but like that's the most enjoyment that i could get out of this show it's like going hey <laughs> seeing there's an Alice actor Quinn. that you recognize from a better show yes 
Now let's talk about the transphobia. So did you watch the episode? Did you finish the episode? Here's the thing. I went back and forth on whether or not it was my obligation to watch it. As, I hope like, it wasn't an obligation to this podcast, which is not worth it. Well, no, because like the thing is that like I thought a lot about whether or not I could complain about transphobia and not watch the scene. Like, fair enough. If it was a thing of like I don't, if I don't watch this scene, and then I say this show is transphobic, and then someone says you didn't even watch the scene, like, but then I got there, and I was just like. Yeah, but I don't want to do this. I don't want to, like, sit yep. in this. This show doesn't mm-hmm. deserve it. And, no. like, I watched the... I literally cut around it. I, like, waited till right up until, like, the scene happened. And then I, like, fast-forwarded till right after the scene was over and watched the very end beat to get how the, the characters context. responded. Yeah. The context. Uh-huh. And, like, yeah. But, yeah, so the, the thing that happens is that they argue about whether or not they should... Who they should hire. And Billy Crystal has this guy that he wants to hire because he was a famous like comedy director in the 90s and it turns out that also we should point out that like one of the women who works on this show is um played by missy pyle and i love missy pyle wait no that's not missy pyle never mind it's not even missy pyle it's another actress who looks kind of like missy pyle who is also a really funny person oh my god Um, she does kind of look like her she's just much younger yeah, but like, or who Missy is this Pyle actress? Is much younger, I mean, uh, someone who I do recognize. Hang on, she is. Oh my god, it's anyway. I love this actress. She's incredibly funny. She works on the show, and she apparently also used to date this '90s sitcom director, this '90s comedy director, and so she doesn't want to Se- see him again either. Stephanie um, Stephanie Weir. Stephanie Weir. That's her name from Odessa, Texas. Huh. And so. Everyone's kind of nervous about this 90s director that's coming because, like, Billy Crystal gets his way, and that's who we're getting. And so this director shows up, and it turns out that this director is a trans woman now. And like, But importantly, still played by the actor Steven Weber, who we see in, like, the flashback photo, uh, yeah. wearing a wig and a dress and doing, exactly. like, a higher voice. Like, yes, this is very much, like, haha. Like, they don't even funny? bother doing the ugly Betty thing, where they just have a, a cisgender woman playing a trans woman. They Here's dress the a man in yeah, a wig. Exactly. Um, It's, like, not good. No. It's, like, very bad. Don't do that. I mean, obviously, hire trans people to play trans people, but especially don't hire men to play trans people, and don't play it for comedy. And, like, even if, like, the joke is on like Josh Gad and Billy Crystal and it's not really like I mean it's not really on her either so the way that it the the act so I watched the scene um and uh, because I watched it first and I'm the one that warned Chris (laughs) that's I was like have you seen this show because I remember you knew that the show existed and I couldn't remember if you'd seen the show um but like the basically the character Jamie walks in wearing her wig and dress and just sort of like says hello to everyone and uh both Josh Gad and uh Billy Crystal kind of look surprised and she's just very nice and she hugs the girl (laughs) ex-girlfriend And um, there's probably one something somebody says about like, I don't know, you look great. Like you've changed a lot or something like that. And then we cut to the scene that you watched, which is the two of them, the two like lead characters sort of debriefing and Billy Crystal goes like, well, I guess you got your female perspective. And then like the episode ends. So like, and uh, this, the character is in the next episode, but I could not for the life of me find a like, recap of the episode on any of the websites because i really wanted to know what happened but god help me was i not gonna watch the other episode but the only things i could find about next episode figure out (laughs) how much this character was in the show only two episodes they're only the first two episodes and next episode the only thing i can find about it is that like uh billy crystal invites josh gad over to watch baseball i think and that's the only thing i can find so they don't even mention the character in like any of the descriptions of the episode and the synopses that i could find online so i don't know what happens next i can imagine it goes badly but like it didn't seem like they wanted to make like a trans panic kind of joke. I mean, but it, it they're kind still of making the tra- fact it's that a trans discomfort joke. 
Exactly. Well, and like, that's I, but that's like a distinct thing. Like trans panic is more like you're romantically involved with somebody. Yeah, and, oh it's no, not like a trans panic yet. But like, no, but it's, it's, still it's like definitely a... trans discomfort. It's using the discomfort around a trans person and the way that people react when they find out somebody is trans that they did not expect to be trans as a joke. And yeah. even if the butt of the joke is not the trans person, the trans person is still the vehicle for the joke. And it's not even that they're the person, it's their transness is the joke. And it's fucked up. And it also up. like, and... you know. Watch the what's the documentary disclosure to learn more specifically about like the legitimately dangerous decision it is to cast a cisgendered man as a yeah. trans woman and how that like leads to violence against trans people. Uh, I don't think we this is the podcast where we go into that, but it is a true fact and you should go watch disclosure and also read trans authors who write about this. Jen, um, what is her last name? Not I was going to say Jen West, but that's not true. Jen, fuck, she made Jennifer Boylan. No, 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 no. She made the web series Herstory, and she is like a writer, actress. Uh, Richards, Jen Richards, writes uh-huh. about this a lot. Like, she used to do a lot of, like, Twitter threads and Tumblr threads about, like, the trans actors in um, Hollywood and, like, the, the, the dangers of casting cisgender people, specifically cisgendered men, playing trans women um, as trans characters. And, yeah, it's, it's go, go look up her writings. Go look up the documentary Disclosure. It's on Netflix. But, yeah, it was rough. It was bad. It was a bad thing to end the episode on. I did not enjoy it. All right. Thank you, Brie, for having all the trans resources. <laughs> Yeah. I've watched a lot of documentaries this year, or last year, I guess. Oh, my God. I'm also a fan of Jen Richards, so, like, she yeah. posts a lot of resources. Anyway, but that's basically yeah, can it. We... It's terrible yeah, show. Yeah, that's the comedians. It's terrible show. Didn't like watching it. Done talking about mm-hmm. it. Um, yep. But also, weird fit for Matt Nix. Such a weird fit for Matt Nix. Super weird fit for Matt Nix. I cannot like, tell for the life of me why he is there. I don't know why he's there. I would love to know. Matt Nix, if you're listening... <laughs> Like, explain. It also I won't, didn't seem I won't that ex- Matt Nixie. It didn't like, seem that Matt Nixie. Other than, like, it's yeah. not that funny. Uh, <laughs> but, like, here's the thing. You can't Matt ask Nix- Matt Nix to call us and then <laughs> insult the man in the next sentence, Chris. Valid. I mean, here's the thing. We're going to... I just want to say to Matt Nix, tell us what's going on. We won't accuse you of transphobia. I am. I'm not interested in doing that. But it's interesting because this is not the sort of thing that like would make sense for Matt Nix does comedy. The thing that does make sense for Matt Nix does comedy is the good guys. The other pilot that we watched, the good guys is a television show on a network I don't remember that ran for one season in 2010. I want to say it was TBS. Apparently. Maybe, yeah. But it, like, it, it doesn't exist anywhere in streaming, which was annoying for me. Um, but it was it came out in 2010, which is also the same year that during notice seasons three and four were happening. Like, most of season four took place. I think all of season four took place in 2010. So he, like, left, I guess, for a little while to write The Good Guys. Here's the thing, Chris. I wanted to ask this of you right at the beginning. Do you think that the fact that season four is the strongest episode, season of Burn Notice and the fact that Matt Nix was likely less involved because he was working on the good guys is related you don't know like again i'm not sure I'm just time frames of this it could possibly be i don't know exactly enough about what was going on backstage to figure that out here's what i'll also say up front i enjoyed the good guys yeah it was fine like i i don't think i would continue watching just because there's like truly no female characters that i have any interest in oh and no, i am like, finding it harder and harder to watch shows that are just about men like listen i love my boys i love them so much but you can't even give me the token smurfette like yeah. come on <laughs> and like there but are, yeah it was like, fine yeah it is fine i will say i remember watching this back in the day because like i whole like series not the whole i mean i watched a few episodes i don't think i watched the whole thing but like because it had bradley whitford in it and like colin yeah, hanks yeah. like like those two guys are good and also, it's set in Dallas. And at the time, I was, like, oh, living true. in Dallas. And, like, we did some shooting in Dallas. And, like, part of me was like, I need to watch this show. Maybe I could work on this show. 
Um, like, so the, the the pilot was written solo by Big Daddy Nix, and it was directed by Tim Matheson. Tim Matheson. Tim Matheson came around. Maybe that's why uh, Larry uh, Larry Sizemore or whatever the fuck his name is isn't in a lot of episodes in between his two appearances. Because he was too busy directing The Good Guys. And also, did tracks. you know that The Good Guys is based on a movie script set in California that Matt Nix wrote 10 years earlier? Huh. Huh. I did not know that. But yeah, the premise of the good guys is basically just like they're a mismatched like buddy cop duo who mm-hmm. investigate like small crimes and like do routine investigations, but like Bradley Whitford thinks that he's a big shot cop and like, you know, because Con like Hanks. fifteen years ago he did one heroic thing and yeah. so he's like skated by on like this one heroic thing he did 15 years ago but he's very far past his prime um according exactly. to imdb the like the clean you know log line that matt nix must have used is jack is a by-the-book detective whose habit of undermining himself has resulted in a dead-end position within the police department that's colin hanks his partner dan a drunk lecherous veteran hangs onto his job only because of one heroic act years ago uh he saved the governor's son yeah. is the only detail we get you know what was interesting about watching this show is that, like, I feel like this is a few years too late for the premise, this person drinks a lot and it's funny. Like, that used to be a character. Mm-hmm. Like, it was the, the drunk that drinks a lot yeah. and it's funny they drink a lot. Like, you know, Arthur. Like, yeah. but like, and so it's like weird to see, like, this person drinks too much played for comedy in like a way. Yeah, it's not like deeply sad and traumatic. It's just yeah. like, oh, this goofy drunk. Um yeah, it's it's a little bit of a bummer watching. It is a little that. bit of a bummer. Can I say really quickly uh, though? Like sure. as someone who lives in Dallas, there's a scene in this episode wherein Bradley Whitford is in a gas station and he buys alcohol. And like you can't do that in <laughs> Dallas. Like, there's no buying liquor in a gas station in Texas. It is so hard to buy liquor in Dallas. Like, you have to, like, you can only get liquor from a liquor store. Like. Yeah, there's a lot of places in the United States where that's, like, a weird rule. Yeah, no, like, it. it is a kind of semi-dry county. It is, like, it's very specific about where you can buy. Here's the thing. To this day, like, I am still shocked to see liquor in grocery stores it's always every time i see it i'm like confused i'm just like <laughs> you can just buy liquor and like in a grocery store with pop tarts like normally you have to go to like a special place and buy only liquor always weird when i see it and so that moment where he buys liquor at a gas station i was like what are you doing <laughs> um so yeah so to give you the the log line, at least, of the pilot episode, Jack and Dan are given a routine case about a stolen humidifier, which soon escalates into a case involving drug runners, hired assassins, a plastic surgeon, and a gal- and a gelf, and a golf bag filled with drug money. Can I say, I do like the way this episode escalates. I, yeah, I think it's, it's actually a like a well-plotted episode. I like the like way that it builds. I like the fact that there's a subplot about the second best assassin in the world. Like, <laughs> that that's a good funny. concept. I like that's- that actor, whoever plays the the second best and now first best assassin. I've seen him in a bunch of stuff and he's always a good time. Like he always, he, he always kind of plays against type to the point where it is his type to play like the serious guy who's actually very kind of funny and dry. Um, yeah. But I always like it. Every time it happens, I'm like, hey, that guy. Yeah. And that's like a, that's like a nice runner throughout the episode. Uh, everything about this is like it's kind of burn noticey but just like a little bit goofier like mm-hmm. it's like matt next doing the goofiest episode of burn notice totally except um, like i don't super like other than the fact that i really do like colin hanks and bradley whitford i didn't care about either of the characters like i'm in the same way that i didn't like the cringe comedy of the comedians like there's also a level of cringe comedy with colin hanks's character because like the way that he quote keeps undermining himself is that he's like he's just sort of a know-it-all and like he'll say the wrong thing to absolutely everyone at absolutely every moment and like i don't find that endearing no i find that irritating i think he should be (laughs) not allowed to do stuff like, Colin Hanks helps sell it because, like, Colin Hanks, 
like his dad just has a kind of charm about him. Sure. It's I will also say that this kind of a show hits different because like truly so many things like lines were crossed uh, and like these are police heroes. Yeah. Like it's like a it's like a hardcore copaganda kind of situation in a way that it like is. Burn Notice manages to avoid simply because they are not cops. <laughs> and like this they, they tread into it. But like I think that we have largely gotten a pass from having to reckon with uh the police state just because the podcast we do is about spies who are vigilantes, roughly. Um yeah. and who on and off aren't, you know, huge fans of the government, which works in our favor. But yeah, this was like, every time I now watch a cop show, like, it's just, it gets more and more glaring. And I start to, like, really see the cracks of, like, hey, this is fucked up. They shouldn't be allowed to do that. This oh, is no, totally. Just because they got the bad guy, that should not be allowed. And the one thing about it that's interesting, and, like, the thing that's there, but it's not quite there, is that Bradley Whitford is a television cop that doesn't understand that he's a television cop. Like, <laughs> the, ho- the whole idea is that, like, he is, like, a fictional version of a cop that, for some reason, is, like, in a slightly more realistic world. Do you remember anything about this show, like, when it came out? I had never heard of it before you were like, Here's oh, yeah, we should thing. watch The Good Guys. When this show came out, like, the whole advertising promotional push around this show was built on Bradley Whitford's mustache. <laughs> For real. Like, that was, like, the push, was that, like, he's, like, this old-fashioned cop, and he has a mustache, like cops did. And so he's, like, a he's like a weird TV cop. And, like, the thing about this is that, like, it's a little bit hot fuzz, in a way. I haven't seen hot fuzz. It's not quite hot fuzz, because, like, the joke of hot fuzz is that, like, there's, like, a really talented cop who's in a very small town that doesn't need a really talented cop. And like, but it's the same sort of like premise of using like movie and TV cop tropes, but in a very small scale situation where it's kind of absurd to be doing that. And that's like the joke they're doing. But the thing is that like, they don't quite go all the way with it. And that makes it weird. But like, it is interesting. I don't know. I thought like, I actually do think that this was one of the better things that Matt Nix has written. (laughs) Yeah, it's like, it's fun. It it has heart. The casting really helped him, I think. Yeah, no, it's got a really good cast. Nia Vardalos is in it for some reason. Is she the, the captain? No, she's the, like, the, like, uh, woman who Bradley Whitford seduces. Oh, the Greek lady. The, the, yes, my big, the my big Greek, Greek, Greek wedding, lady. wedding lady. Yeah. Is she in other episodes? Because they keep referring to her as Bradley Whitford's girlfriend. I don't know. It seemed weird that... It seemed weird that she was cast in this role. Like, she has to come back because otherwise, where do you have her? Yeah, maybe she's living in Dallas. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. She's, like, way too famous for this. Um, Other casting things that we should note. One of the characters in this episode is a CI, like, who will eventually be a CI. He is, like, a crime guy who's a thief who gets embroiled in this whole like oh plot. is julian so julian Juli- comes back uh yeah no he is like a regular oh i liked like, him a they lot. kind of set he's that like up the but first, like, he's the first person we see in the episode and at first like i kind of like um vaguely understood what the good guys was but julian's the first guy we see and he's like breaking into a house but then has like a full conversation with somebody on the phone like hey i'm, I'm just stepping into work i gotta go and it's like yeah. it was so funny to me i really liked the cold i open. did like and this then, scene a lot. like he gets in and he's like shit this isn't a flat screen because he sees like a big old clunker of a TV um, and then the person gets home and so he freaks out like hurts himself by uh, knocking the the big clunker TV on the ground and grabs a humidifier and like goes but the whole scene was very funny it was very well paced the guy that plays Julian extremely fun and I was kind of like maybe this is about thieves <laughs> I again forgot what good guys was about I knew it intellectually but in my heart I was like yeah. I would like to follow this man around like having scene. sassy conversations on the phone and stealing stuff yeah, no, I did enjoy this person. His name is Ronrico Lee. And, like, clearly Matt Nix also enjoyed this person. Because he's also in The Fall of Sam Max. Oh my god, that is him. I can't believe I didn't recognize him. So he was, what's his name? The Doctor, Fall of yeah. Sam Max. And here he is again. Also, one more casting note that I should note. The plot of this episode is that there is and. In a very Matt Nix way, 
this plot is all about Mexico (laughs) or like that there are some drug dealers who are like getting in a scuffle because one of the drug dealers hates the other drug dealer. So he steals his money and he wants to run away this drug dealer, but he needs to like get a plastic surgeon to change his face so he won't be found. And he wants to look just like Eric Estrada, which is a funny joke. (laughs) Like, And so he goes to this plastic surgeon to get his face changed. And then like things go bad during the face change and like the, and the plastic surgeon thinks he's dead and then uses Julius to like hide the body and hide this golf bag full of money. And the plastic surgeon is played by a guy whose name is blanking on me, but he is, he was a regular on Everwood, but also he played Alice Quinn's dad on the magicians. (laughs) Oh my god, your obsession with the magicians is frankly Here's the thing. upsetting. It's an incredibly good show. It's now become one of my favorite shows. But it's so That's weird to wild. me that like watching both of these shows were like <laughs> I this is randomly Alice Quinn and her dad. That's very funny. And I did like that. Like I loved the I did really like the absurdity of the whole plot. Like I did too. It, it felt very heightened in a way that I found like really enjoyable rather than cringeworthy. Like like it's it, it was like a genuine goofiness, like an earnest goofiness that I really liked. Like there was an earnestness about how everyone was delivering everything that made it feel fun. Like even when there was a moment where I was like what's happening here? I still enjoyed the ride. Like it's it's very much like one of the high like high points burn and notice episodes that like isn't a great episode of television but that like i ain't gonna kick out of bed you know what i mean like that's that's what this felt like it felt like the a thing comfort is that, like, watch it's not a show it feels like not a mad nicks burn notice it feels like a o'neill and tracy burn notice i was gonna say that too. i was gonna say it feels like an which is tracy. weird although they i will say there aren't as show. many hard jokes like there aren't as oh, many really? hard jokes like i yeah, kind of thought like, they would um, I no know, burn especially well. Again, well, it's because it was coming. It was coming out during Burn Notice. Like the Burn Notice writers were writing Burn Notice at this exactly. time. Exactly. Also, I did it's see based one on writer a, that I recognize from Doom Patrol. Oh, okay. Um, uh, the comedians also did not share any writers in common with Burn that Notice. That made so more both sense of these to me, shows. Though. Well, yeah, because it's a wild <laughs> departure from everything that those yeah. boys are good at. Um, but yeah, both of these shows that we watched for this episode were were like full departures from Burn Notice. But, like, um, this one on, wasn't, like, like, level. Uh, like, yeah, it was on talent level. But the thing is, that, like, this show is clearly not a full departure. This show is trying to do Burn Notice, kind of, but, like, as a broad comedy. Um, mm-hmm. Which, again, kind of leads to the big problem, as you mentioned earlier. There's not enough hard jokes in it. Like, Matt Nix, as we kind of said earlier, is not that great at writing comedy. Like, he's acquitting himself well enough. There's, like, things in this episode that I laughed at. But, like, mm-hmm. he's just not, like good at writing hard jokes he's not good at writing like clever things so like the thing that like makes you laugh about this show is that like it's real sense of enthusiasm and committing to the goofy bit like like at the end of the episode like the guy who alice quinn's dad thought was dead is actually alive and he comes back and he runs over the other guy of the car like while there's a shootout between the the world's greatest assassin and the world's second greatest assassin like and the cops at first the assassins are on the same side but then they have to go rescue nia my big fat greek wedding and through honor colin hanks convinces the second greatest assassin that he should be let out to go deal with that and the he's like i you are an amazing man I will do anything for you. And so then it becomes a standoff between the two assassins and then the second best assassin, who is the one that I was saying that I really like because every time I see him in a TV show, I know exactly what he's going to do and he does it. He does it so fucking good. Uh, he he kills the first worst assassin. So now he's and the then, biggest like, assassin. And then Highlander style. Highlander style, he becomes the world's greatest assassin. And then later sends them, a, like, the, the two odd couple cops a, a letter and a picture of him with his kids all giving thumbs up because of how much he likes them. And, like, yeah, he here's likes, the thing. So he, I thought that was a run. That was a funny runner. I don't know if it tracks at all. Like, his motivations throughout the entire episode seem very suspect and bizarre. Like, well, his no, decision he's a to, like, like Colin Hanks. I guess. But, like, he no, was he's the one where, like, character. I really want to like cartoon this. show. <laughs> that is the thing about the good guys it is a live action cartoon show 
Like, people have cartoon motivations. As best I could tell, he really likes this cop because he's like, you're Tom Hanks's kid. Like, <laughs> of course I like you. But like, yeah, it's... And I like that, though. I think, like, Matt Nix is best when he's kind of writing a cartoon. I like Burn Notice when it's a cartoon. That's like, true. You have said that before. That is on the exactly. record is something you have said. And and so this was kind of Burn Notice as a cartoon. Like, I and again, I watched multiple episodes of this show. Not that many, but, like, when it came... When it came on, I definitely, like, watched bits of it. And, like, the whole time I watched it, like, back then in 2010 or whatever it was, I was very aware that it should be funnier than it is. <laughs> Even then, I was like, why isn't this show funnier? It should be funny. And it is kind of funny, but it's not, like, professionally funny. Yeah, it's endearing and, like, amusing, but it's not funny. Because, like, I think the thing... The ab- thing- about Matt Nix is that like the the thing about like hard jokes and everything is that Matt Nix is like sassy and sometimes when he gets a good enough actor to say his little sassy asides it can read as funny but like that's not actually how you write comedy like he doesn't he's not he's good at writing runners because it's just about like what if a sassy person is sassy the whole time and then a silly thing happens and it's like that's fine that's not like he just doesn't have a concrete understanding of like set up punchline no, he does not. Um, or a strong enough, like, grasp on wordplay to do any, like, wordplay style jokes. Like, I don't think he can spin as good of a, a phraseology as certainly not O'Neill or Tracy. Um, and then he doesn't no. have, like, the structural understanding of it that um, that Mike Horowitz has. No, that's true. And that's what's kind of interesting is that, like, this episode of television, if this was an episode of Burn Notice, I would have, like, enjoyed the shit out of it. Like, like, this would have been one of my favorite episodes of Burn Notice, because, like, when episode, when Burn Notice goes this broad comedy, I like it because it seems like they're having fun. But it's not enough to build a show around. Like, yeah. it, in, in a way, it, this is kind of enlightening, because whenever I watch an episode of Burn Notice that's this kind of broad, I'm like, why can't the show be this all the time? And it's kind of like, well, this is what it looks like when the show is like this all the time. And, like... It kind of makes me appreciate Burn Notice better because it's like we know exactly how much we can do this sort of thing. <laughs> well, I don't know. Again, because of the good guys wasn't written by the Burn Notice writers, I think that some of the Burn Notice writers could do this. I bet O'Neill and Tracy would have been excellent on the good guys. I bet they would have had so much fucking fun with it. They would have. I. It is, again, they were doing Burn Notice, so it makes sense. But it's like it makes me a little sad. Right. Um, yeah, this show does, it's set up like a show that I would enjoy, because I do like a good, goofy cop procedural, you know? I And I, I like Colin Hanks, I like Bradley Whitford, um, I just, I wish there was a female character. I get it's an odd couple comedy about two boys, but, like, for the love of God, give me some. Here's someone. the thing that's wild about you know? it, is that there are, like, there are, like, at least three different women in this show, and, like, none of them make an impression. Well, it's a fucking Matt Nix script, Chris. I know. <laughs> like, Matt Nix but the thing is that, like, famously can't write women. Because here's the thing. I was thinking about this, watching it. I was like, this show would be better if there was more women. But then I thought, like, every ma- like every recurring character that isn't the main two boys is a woman. Like, the thing is that, like, they're boss the is a woman she's a woman yeah and but like, she has not all she is is like mad at them all the time no, like she exactly, doesn't have a personality the outside of like i'm exactly like even chief vic uh from um from psych had a little oh, yeah, bit she's to her. great like she no. was a skeptic like she was like uh you know she she was in their way she was checking in on them she was pregnant that added a lot <laughs> i think to like but, the kind of person she was yeah but this is the point that i'm making is that like it shows the limits of like you can't just cast women and that's it like you have to also write to them like and you also have to give women the opportunity to write for them like can you imagine yeah, a course. lisa joy episode of the good guys um yeah exactly and um i actually would enjoy that but no she never and did. like i'll be honest um, the only thing i really know about lisa joy's writing comes from burn notice because like i watched like an ep- season and a half of westworld and thought it was fine um, but like every episode that Lisa Joy has written, like solo of Burn Notice, I have gotten something out of and I have enjoyed and I would have liked to see that sensibility given over to the good guys. I would have liked to see her put wh- whoever that they can give us as a Fiona, you know, type yeah. in the good guys and have her write that. You know, maybe they it, are chasing like a, a a teenage cat burglar and she's a girl and she's like a young like Selena, um, whatever her name is in Batman. But like... 
you know, they, they have to follow around like a sassy teen girl who opens up their world to like an underground children's thieving ring in Dallas or something. I don't know. I'm just saying there's a lot of options and it would have been cool there's to options. see. I will say it like, yeah, there is only one uh, woman on this writing staff and it is the one that I recognize. I was just going to look that up. <laughs> um, uh, Tamara Wait, Becher or Becker, Tamara, I don't know if it's Becher or Becker, but like um, she wrote two episodes and um, she went on to write for Doom Patrol, which is a show that I watched the pilot of and thought it was fine. I might watch more, but I might not. But this is my point, though. So it was like, oh, hey, like there are like women in this episode. They're just not being written at all. And so it feels like there's not women on it. Like that's like the testosterone, the boys club, like vibe of Matt Nix is so strong that even when there's women there, it doesn't matter. No. Yeah. Because he just doesn't know what to do with them. Like, e- even Fee early on in Burn Notice was just like, she blows things up and is obsessed with Michael. And she, we only yeah. really got to see, like, more interesting and fun sides of her as, like, the character grew, as more writers got to write her. But, like, I feel like he he just, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Which is why, again, it's so fucking wild that Matt Nix was the one that moderated a, a, a young women directors panel a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> That is weird. That I just, like, yeah. He was very sweet about it. But yeah, I don't think he understands women at all. I don't think he no, gets it was that. Like, uh, the only other... There were three women, <laughs> three women in this episode. There was like the chief who was angry at humidif- them. Yeah, the humidifier the, stolen lady. Yeah. And the like ex-girlfriend of Colin Hanks who's disappointed in them. Oh, fuck. I forgot about her. I watched this episode no, she yesterday. Exists. Fully forgot about her. The, the, um, the, the lawyer... Yeah, she's like a DA or something. And like, she also exists and like, is the most thankless role. <laughs> like, like, she's just there to be pretty and blonde and have a Texas accent. Um, yep. And like, be kind of sad and disappointed at Colin Hank. And that was, and it's just so frustrating. Uh, the only other thing I have a note on about this episode is that I'm not a fan of the gunshot fully that they use every time they put up an on-screen, like, location or oh, time yeah. note. Because, like, the structure of the show is that, like, it's like a case file. Like, we're watching a case file play out. So they have, like, case file font where when they're, like, tagging a location uh, in, like, the time of day or, you know, whatever as it's relevant. But every time there's, like, a lower third, there's a gunshot noise. And it's so loud every single time. And it was so startling every single time. And also, I live in New York. Things like this happen. And it makes me a little tense when I hear gunshots that are just, like, single gunshot. I don't know. It was a little too much for me. It's, like, it once or that. twice or maybe on, like, big moments. Okay. But, like... That's it's a all lot. part of the vibe that they're going yeah. for, which is like it's a very broy vibe. <laughs> very bright, but it's like very broy vibe. It's also like a very TV cop vibe. Like it is cop as aesthetic. Yeah, that's fair. Um, yeah, and, and that also just, I like, think just gave me like a a weird vibe. It is a it cop is aesthetic like a weird bad. vibe. Yeah, I know. I don't care for cop aesthetic, but it is a very broy vibe. Also, because like so much of the pilot revolves like much like Burn Notice. Like, a lot of the pilot also involves them getting a badass boy car. Oh, God, yeah. Um, they bought it I don't at a gas station. Yeah, that they bought at a gas station. I was confused. I'm confused about this gas station where you could buy liquor in cars. <laughs> <laughs> I'm yeah, very confused uh, by it. Yeah, who knows? Who knows? And then, like, I also should point out, I do want to mention, briefly again, talking about Matt Nix's attempts to write comedy. On a scale of 1 to 10, how proud do you think Matt Nix was of Humidifinder? Was that a joke? Yes, it's a joke. He literally, no. There is a joke that Bradley Whitford says Humidifinder instead of humidifier he says it like 20 times oh i did like, not catch that at all and i bet the fact I, that he mentioned it several times probably implies he's very proud of it he's incredibly it's so funny to me that you don't remember this because I don't. like it's clearly the joke that he's the most proud of because he says it oh, so no. many times it was kind of funny the first time and then like he kept saying it and then like literally like Diminishing every single time like like, Bradley Woodford just keeps saying humidifinder. And 
yeah, Matt Nix clearly thinks it is so funny. And, <laughs> oh, um, and like, that's his ceiling. Like, that is his comedy ceiling. Humidifinder. That's that's the extent of his wordplay capabilities. The thing about this show is that it's about as funny, and it kind of has the vibe of Paul Blart Mall Cop. <laughs> but about, like, much more attractive men. Yeah. And charismatic men. Exactly. I mean, like, much. I would say, like, more attractive, not, like, much more attractive. I think Colin Hanks could get it. And Colin probably Whitford in his prime could get it. Oh, yeah, but, like, he's pointedly not in his prime here. They're making him look ugly. Yeah, he's bloated. <laughs> he's not in good shape. No. But, like, I think, like, part of that is he's supposed to look bad. Like, he's supposed to look oh, like yeah. a mess. So it's, For like, sure. but, yeah, so, but, like, that means that he looks like a mess. But also, like, but apparently not enough of a mess to not immediately sleep with Nia Vardalos. <laughs> Um, I did that was I found that very amusing that like they walk into her house to interview her she recognizes Bradley Whitford as the guy that saved the governor's son and like immediately they both like do a bit about how they're gonna go do a private interview but for sure definitely have sex and Colin Hanks looks like he has this long-suffering look like this happens all the time and then he just like waits outside the house for his partner to be done having sex and I find that very funny it was like it's because like it's cuck energy, but he's not actually being cucked. <laughs> I'm glad that we talked about cuck energy in this podcast. <laughs> but no, but it's so funny because, like, clearly, despite the fact that, like, Bradley Whitford looks like shit in this, like, clearly Matt Nixon Co. think that he is still, like, the epitome of masculinity right now. That, like, even though he's kind of pathetic, and he is pathetic, like, Women still want to sleep with him because look at him. He's so manly. He's got a mustache. And that's like, like, it can't decide how it feels about Bradley Whitford. Yeah, like, it wasn't clear what I was supposed to be taking away from him as like a viewer. Like, like, how am I supposed to feel about this man? This very sad man. Like, yeah, it's like, he's clearly very sad, but I don't know how sad we're supposed to find him. And like, um, and how we're supposed to like, how much we're supposed to like be on his side a little because like he is like incredibly sad and pathetic like but i don't think the show realizes exactly how sad and pathetic he is even though it knows that he's sad and pathetic it's not like it doesn't like they made him look like shit and he lives he lives in like a trailer that's at the fairgrounds <laughs> poor bastard and like he's like a drunk and like he's past his prime and that's like part of it i know it would be more unrealistic but what if he had saved the president's daughter (laughs) i like because i do like the weird like kind of meta undertone of like you know back when you were like in your prime on the west wing (laughs) yeah i don't think that that's the kind of thing matt nix does no. Like he'll he'll do homages to other cop shows, but like he doesn't really care I think about like actors. Like cuz like Psych definitely did that. Psych did a bunch of stuff with Dulé Hill and The West Wing, but I don't think that's like that's not what Matt Nix finds funny. That's true. Although, I also don't think that the although, type of people like, there who was... watch Matt Nix shows and the type of people who watch The West Wing are necessarily the same type of people. That's very true. There were a couple of references that we talked about in the past when on the Sam Axe episode to Evil Dead. So he's not totally. Yeah, but that's Bruce Campbell. You know, that's, that's like Campbell. a fundamentally. That's a different. Yeah. Thing. That is and also the no, people who watch Evil Dead and people who watch Burn Notice probably have a slightly larger overlap. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, that makes sense. But I think that's about it. I, is there anything else that we need to say about the good guys? Should people watch either of particular. these shows? Obviously, they so should. That watch was the what comedians. I. That, that was what I was gonna go to next. Um. So yeah, would you, Chris Cherry, personally recommend either of these shows to anyone? I'm not saying you have to recommend them to everyone, but would you recommend either of these shows to anyone? I mean, I would not recommend the comedians to anyone ever. Like, not my worst enemy. I would not recommend the comedians to Mitch McConnell. <laughs> um, he might get ideas. The good guys, I would not recommend to, like, 
the good guys, if, like, someone really liked Burn Notice and, like, hadn't seen the good guys, I'd be like, you should maybe watch the good guys. If they were, like, Not, super I will say, Notice. though, there are people on Twitter who are super into Burn Notice, but a big thing for them seems to be the Fiona-Michael ship. If that's a thing yeah. for you, if that's why you like Burn Notice, I would not recommend this. Like, yeah, like, I would recommend this to a couple of, like, guys that I know, you know, who like burn notice or like the kind of thing who also like procedurals. Like I would recommend it people who like like procedurals and comedy um, for, for those reasons. Um, But I would not recommend it to any women in my life. I don't think just because like, it's not even that like, it's just lackluster, mediocre representation of women. It's just like, this isn't a show for women. You know what I mean? No. <laughs> like, for most of the things. Like, pe- women who like television, which are the women that are in my life, I would not recommend this show to. I, I wouldn't kick it out of bed. Like, if it, if it came on at a hotel that I was staying at, I'd probably watch the whole episode. I might even stick through the commercials. But, like, I would not seek it out, especially given, no. again, that it's not um, not streaming. So I had to pay yeah, no. oh, like, yeah, $2.99 no. no to watch ever... this fucking thing. Yeah, no one should ever pay money for this show. And I did. Like, I did this too. This noticed episode cost me two dollars and ninety nine cents. Same. Uh, yeah, no one should pay money for this show. But I don't know if it was like a thing. If it was like easily accessible and like you liked yeah. Burn Notice, I don't know. I like. Yeah, and that I yeah. would say like it's watch fine, it. but like. But it's not, like, good. It's, like, the thing is, like, I almost, like, the reason I say even, like, if you like Burn Notice is that, like, I wouldn't recommend this show for someone who likes Psych. Oh, Because, like, Psych yeah, is it's... better. Like, you have to, like, yeah. it's not just, like, people who like comedy and procedurals. It's got to be, like, people who like the kind of comedy that you can get from Burn Notice. <laughs> like, so not, like, yeah. good comedy. Yeah, no, like, I, yeah. bad that's... comedy. yeah. Yeah, and again, I even hesitate to consider this comedy. Yeah, it definitely I definitely considers itself comedy. What I will, I will say, I would recommend Burn Notice before I recommended The Good Guys. Um, even though well, yeah. the pilot of this show is way better, like this is a much oh, stronger pilot than the Burn Notice pilot. So, like, at least Matt Nix has learned that much, like how to not write a pilot. This is a genuinely good pilot, and I think I have a pretty solid understanding of what the rest of the show is, which is why I can say, I don't want to watch anymore. I'm fine. It's, it's you know what? It's fine. Um, but, yeah, ultimately, not really my jam, and I don't think any of the people in my lives jam. But I wouldn't, again, I would not kick it out of bed or turn off the hotel TV. It's also the thing that, like, if there was anyone in my life who would enjoy the good guys, it's you. So the fact that you don't speaks volumes. Cool. End of bonus episode. <laughs> uh, any any final thoughts? Any like, insights into Matt Nix's psyche that we haven't covered yet? I think the yet, thing that, that we've, like, really firmly established is that Matt Nix isn't funny and he shouldn't try to be. Yeah. Like, he's, like, he, he be might sassy. be funny enough. Like, he can do sassy. Like, he should not be doing a show that is a comedy show first and foremost yes like none of this i thought this was like a decent pilot i think it's like better written than a lot of his burn notice stuff yes 100%. but like it wasn't i still not as good as the gifted which i actually think is the best thing that he's written and like the gifted is not trying to be funny at all and like yeah there's not really a lot of moments of levity in the gifted pilot but like and it's kind of better for it because that's like not a thing that he's good at it's kind of interesting because i've been thinking a lot about lately about how i just kind of genuinely don't like superhero stories that much so it's sort of interesting that i think the thing that matt nix is best at is superheroes yeah that is interesting yeah i i mean i watch a lot of superhero stuff but i don't think it's because of the superhero stuff i think it's because i have liked specific pieces of superhero media and like went from there and like i want to know what's happening in the marvel cinematic universe so i will watch most of it as long as it kind of keeps me keeps me going because like i think what marvel has done is very good i like a lot of marvel stuff i like their sensibility i wish they let people have a little more creativity for the love of god edgar wright's ant-man could have been fucking incredible um you know so i wish they allowed a little bit of their iron grip to go but like wandavision is excellent um wandavision is so good like Captain Marvel was excellent. 
Black Panther was what the first superhero movie to get nominated for Oscars. Like yeah. they've they've made some really good things. I like and the original Captain America. I still like it's like one of my comfort movies is the first Captain America. Agent Carter, the first season and oh, a half. Agent Carter were is excellent. so good. Back half of season uh-huh. two is why it got canceled because it was not good. There was a lot of yeah. nonsense. But like, yeah, like Marvel does a lot of really good stuff, but I don't think it's because I love superhero things. No, this is the thing. That's what I'm like trying to say is that like, I watch, I watch superhero stuff because it's like kind of the only game in town for like genre (laughs) movies and television. And that's kind of frustrating to me because I don't like superheroes as a concept all that much because like it does like superheroes as a concept are like inherently kind of, there's a lot going on there that's weird and like i've talked about this at length in other places and this isn't a podcast about superheroes <laughs> yeah, this is even a podcast about the gifted <laughs> um but like yeah i but i i do think what's interesting is i think like the reason that matt nix is good at the gifted and is good at superheroes is that like superheroes tend to wind up being very procedural yeah i can see and, that and, like, so he kind of has a sensibility for that. And that, like, works for him. Um, I think, And I think he does good at... I think he's good at writing action. Like, a, an action yeah. movie that isn't, like, hardcore Bruce Willis masculine. Like, it's masculine, but in, like, a childish way. Like, he's childishly yeah. masculine. He likes when big things go boom. And like that when when people are having a good time with it. All right. So unfortunately, this episode has not convinced us that Matt Nix is a good writer. However, he's having a good time and I'm glad for him. Don't watch the comedians. It's a garbage show for garbage people. Um, Like, sorry, not sorry. Uh, Thanks for listening. The next thing you'll hear, uh, if none of you have suggested a additional bonus episode that we want to do, is going to be season five. So um, I don't have a release date for that right now. We're actually recording this still in January, even though you're probably not hearing this until at least March. But thanks for listening. We'll be back in your ears for season five coming up soon-ish. And uh, Chris, why don't you take us out? Bye. And thanks again to Vincent E.L. Find more of Vince's music at vincentel.bandcamp.com. Bye. Bye.